Anya Hassan. I am a city councilor here in the city of Beaverton in Washington County, and I am a daughter of immigrants. So my dad's from India. My mom is from Pakistan, and I was born and raised here in the United States. And I'm a mother of three, and I also am a Muslim. And I share that because that has also shaped a lot of my lived experiences in this country, especially in a post 9-11 era. I happen to be the first South Asian uh, counselor in the city of Beaverton, potentially the state of Oregon, not sure, we'll have to fact check that. Um, but also one of the first female Muslim women elected in the state of Oregon, uh, Commissioner Nafisa Fai and I were elected at the same time. So we're kind of tied for the first female Muslim woman in the state of Oregon. Wow. How, okay. How can anybody beat that introduction? Oh my goodness. I, I don't even know where to start now. Uh, I think, <laughs> Nadia, tell, tell me more about uh, kind of your, your up and ringings of living here in the state of Oregon, I think. Uh, you've been involved in many different uh, projects, I'm assuming, and very different uh, initiatives. But before you became a city council member, what was the life of Nadia like? Yeah, it's a good question. So I have an interesting career. And so if you're listening, please know that your career can pivot and change repeatedly. I've worked in marketing and sales. I've worked in human resources. And I've also taught high school. But the experiences that inform me the most uh, specifically today are the, the experiences as a high school teacher. Hmm. So uh, I was really young and I always wanted to be a high school teacher. And my mother at the time felt that um, that, that wasn't going to be my calling and that I should be a doctor or an engineer. Um, hmm. And so was not super supportive of my interest in being a teacher. So really pushed me to do business, which I ultimately did and left to, after several years, to become a high school teacher. And it was teaching high school in the school district where I graduated. So I went to Beaverton Schools, uh, Go Westview Wildcats, which is where I went to high school, and got to teach at Sunset High School in Beaverton and Beaverton High School. And it was the experience as a high school teacher where I think I started to see uh, a lot of inequities and how those inequities showed up in the system of school. So what it meant like to be uh, a student on free and reduced lunch, what it meant to be a student with undocumented family, what it meant to be an immigrant or refugee student. And I did have my own lived experiences as the only person of color in my school where I grew up. I actually grew up in a small town in Connecticut. And I didn't know what those experiences meant or how those experiences would translate until I started seeing it as, as, as from the teacher lens. And so I taught for a couple of years and I loved it, but I just kept going back to something which was that the system was broken and that I needed to find a way to fix it. And I, ultimately I burned out a little from teaching. And so I left. And when I left, I remember thinking, I will come back in some way and start to help address these system issues. I don't know what that is today, but I need to take a step back. I have two kids. I have a lot of responsibilities and I just need to step away from all of this. So that's a little bit about my career. And then as a mother, I think just navigating school for my kids and figuring out how to get them what they needed was also a really interesting experience. 
and, and it was so small that, you know, everyone really knew who I was and everyone knew who my family was. And some of the things that people said weren't really the nicest and, and mostly they were ignorant things. And so I grew up like that. And when I was 15 years old, my parents said, we're moving to Oregon. And, and quite honestly, we called it Oregon. And so um, I was mad and I was scared and I was terrified. And who would have thought that moving from such a small town in Connecticut to this, to this you know, slightly bigger suburb in, in Oregon would suddenly help me personally witness diversity. So I came to Westview High School and I started meeting students that were from Japan and China and Vietnam and students who identified as black. And it was the first time that I had seen people really that were my age that looked different because I had never seen that for so long. And so it was just such a, I just remember being so like, oh my gosh, you're from where? And just not even understanding, but then being really excited because I wasn't, for so long I was the other and to not be the only other, to be the other with others felt kind of exciting. And wow, that, I mean, that's a, I think a lot of people can relate to that experience. And I think for you, especially, it, it, was, it, meant, it meant so much to you that you, want, you became a teacher. Uh, how long did you teach? Or how, are you still teaching? I am not teaching anymore. Um, so right. I taught for a year uh, at Sunset High School, and then I, got, I taught for three years at Beaver City High School. And how was that like, you know, like, like, you know, knowing what you experienced as a student and going back as a teacher, potentially as a resource to those students who are still struggling uh, with the same experiences you might have had as a student? Yeah, so it's interesting because Sunset High School is, is a higher socioeconomic status school, um, and then Beaverton High School is a little bit lower. And I will say the differing experiences across the two high schools was probably one of the most eye-opening of how school resources and school staff are allocated that can somehow unintentionally contribute to inequity. So you have, in a school where you have more students with more need, you have more need. And, in, and when you have more need, you might see more teacher burnout because I am suddenly helping a kid with FAFSA. I'm helping a kid figure out something else, right? I'm dealing with stuff that in, you know, my 38 years of life, I never had to deal with. And so, you know, to see students struggle the way they did to ask about, you know, why didn't you get this assignment done? And to learn later that this is a, a kid that doesn't have a home or a kid who doesn't understand the assignment because it, it just didn't make sense to them. It, it, it was a really eye-opening experience to imagine students who fear for their lives or students who don't have the resources that, uh, that they need or students who have to work because they have to work because they actually must work versus coming to school and that i think informs so much of what i what i do and what i think about today and unfortunately even our teacher training doesn't really prepare us for that uh, i don't think i understood why the kid kept coming late until i really figured it out and then i was like why are we mad that the kid is late? <laughs> but, but like, we're still mad that they're late. And, but we're not thinking about what it looks like 
to find a way to accommodate that because, and I'll never forget the story of this kid who was like habitually late. And I remember someone said, you always thank them for coming. So I'd say, thanks for coming, you know? And then finally I said, Hey, talk to me about like, what's going on with you, you know? And they're like, well, I'm getting my, I have to take my sister to elementary school. Uh, and I, I just, I, I mean, I just, I kind of, you know, crumbled a little bit because I had no idea. And, and I don't think anybody knew. And, and then I reached out to the counselor, right? And so, so it created a awareness for, for teachers at the school, but, but I don't know that we were ever doing that enough to catch some of these kids. And, and then they are marked the, the latecomers and, and then other language that is not indicative of, of supporting kids and getting kids through. So it, it was an amazing experience. And I, I miss working with kids all the time. Absolutely, hands down, my favorite, favorite job ever. Oh, I can only imagine. I wish I was, uh, if, I, if you were still a teacher and I know that I'm going to have a little baby, if you ever come back, you let me know so I can have my kid <laughs> go to your classroom because it sounds like you're an awesome teacher. But now I know I know that you transitioned away from that in the meantime, but now you are a whole city counselor. My goodness. I I followed your trajectory from the beginning to end. I know our mutual friend uh Eddie Morris, uh will bring you up a lot uh, on how your campaign was one of the most important campaigns in the state of Oregon because of how much it meant not only to to, to the area in Beaverton, but just to you and to us as people of color. Um, tell me, why did you, why, why, what was the decision, what's the decision behind you wanting to run for city council? Yeah, so I will start out with a shout out to Eddie Morales, whom I adore. We went to college <laughs> together, so go Ducks. Um, go Ducks, yes. Go Ducks. And, you know, I think, so we all know in 2016, the presidential election was really scary and shocking for a lot of oh, our communities. Oh gosh, yes. I was I was a high school teacher at the time. I had undocumented students galore, and it was like terrifying to talk about mm-hmm. what we would do if I showed up at our school. Oh my so gosh. that was that was like the, the, but those were the things that we talked about as teachers, right? Because we had to be prepared because that was right. what our kids were talking about. So oh my gosh, I I had those experiences. Um, there was the Muslim ban where several countries uh, where Muslims were, were banned from coming into the United States. And so that really, that really continued my sort of interest in politics. And then last year when COVID hit and school closed down and what really just continued was this like, this hope that something was going to come save me. Right. So my son and daughter were in third and and kindergarten so not the best time right to be like and hey, no school for you you know um and we're, we don't really know what's going on right and i was working full time at the time and i just kept thinking something is gonna come like someone's gonna save us like there's a there's some money there's there's child care there's you know i have been waiting for you know paid medical leave for when i had my kids right which yes, i didn't get yes. i've been waiting for um some child care support because that is really expensive that i think you know yes. that we cobble together some sort of you know semblance of child care for my kids and now i'm working from home i'm managing zoom school i'm getting 20 emails from my kids class teachers about when they're on zoom when they're not 
we are losing our mind. And I'm just like, is someone coming? Who's coming? Like what's coming? And every day, every day, I'm just like, like nothing's <laughs> coming. No one is coming. Like, and it's like, no one is coming to save us. And, and so it was like, okay, like I'll do it. And instead of advocating for things and writing letters and all the things that I was already doing, I could be that person. And one thing that I will share that's a little vulnerable, but, but okay. important is um, there was a moment when my son who uh, was nine at the time and, and he just, he was really struggling with, with everything as was I. And mm-hmm. he went in his room and he just, he flipped the bed and he pulled the bookshelf. And I mean, he like, he, he was really mad. And I just started, I just, I lost it. And I was like, what am I doing wrong? I mean, it was this, this moment of like, I am failing. This isn't working. Um, I don't know what to do. This is not, it, it just, it was this like really sad and emotional moment of like, this isn't working for us and I don't know what to do. And, and I am a, you know, privileged, able to advocate for myself, you know, able to email the teacher and say all the things. And, and I know that there are families who do not have that ability or that capacity. And I just kept thinking about how hard it was for them or how hard it could be for them, even though I knew I was still struggling myself with everything that I was trying to do. And so I felt like I had to do it, not just for me who was struggling so much, but for people who might not have the words or the resources or the ability to know how to navigate advocacy the way I've advocated for things in my life. Wow. And I mean, so can you, first of all, thank you for sharing that. And I hope, and, and I hope everything's okay with your son. And. I think uh, in general, just last year was such so, such an interesting year with, with the pandemic and wildfire season and people. I mean, I brought this up a couple of days ago. I think, uh, at least in my culture, um, in the Mexican culture, we don't talk about mental health as much as we should, yeah. uh, and it's one of those things in where uh, our older, my older, older generation, I would talk about my parents their siblings and their generation when we talk about mental health you know they they make it a joke it's like no that stuff like that does not exist and when you're you know i remember growing up and i know i was going through some stuff when growing up you know uh, not to throw my parents under the bus but uh, <laughs> uh they you know they would just label me as lazy or label me as you know i'm an angry person or uh, uh and instead of trying to talk to me you know it was was just uh it just made things worse and I think especially last year I I brought this up to my mom and my dad and and just talking about like how important it it is to talk about mental health between each other as a family and how it's okay that sometimes we're going to sometimes we're going to react certain ways um but we should always debrief and share really how we were feeling uh, and how we felt um and uh, and how important it is to 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 share that with her, with 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 her families because or else we're never gonna understand each other. 
and you know mental health especially last year was such a struggle for a lot of a lot of younger kids even us adults uh just the fact that you have to stay inside for for numerous amounts of weeks because of this virus that we have no idea what it's all about was just such an unfortunate time to live on and but yeah, yeah. and my son i mean thank you he's he's fine but I think it was a really scary moment. And to your comment about mental health, uh-huh. I think, you know, I read somewhere, it's like, is it mental health that's a stigma or has mental health not been accessible to our communities? You know, mm. like, is it, what, what is it? What's, what, what's the rub? Or is it a combination of both? And I think, you know, I, as a daughter of immigrants, you know, we were really always told, I was told, you know, we don't, we don't complain. We don't take up space. We don't, we, we, you know, sit, be respectful, be quiet, don't complain and say please and thank you. Right. Like there's mm-hmm. a very, there's like an unspoken sort of say, please say, thank you. You know, this is, this is what you get. This is what you, you know, you get what you get and you don't throw a fit. Right. It's like a right. thing that one of the, my kids teachers say. And, and last year was like, no, actually <laughs> you don't get what you get. Cause we weren't getting anything. And (laughs) even my daughter, they were like, okay, well, you know, we're going to do zoom school. And I was like, she's five. And I was like, can we get some paper packets? And they were like, Oh no, we're not doing paper packets. And I was like, what? Like, please explain that. Like you're telling me that every kid has internet and can read and is at the level that they don't, you know, that that this is enough. And so I, I struggled with the way that I was raised, which is like, be quiet, don't take up space, right. Be respectful. Say, say, thank you. Right. Don't throw a fit. And Mm -hmm. this is actually not okay. Like, I don't think that it's appropriate for my five-year-old to sit in front of a a, a laptop, like a a iPad or whatever all day. And and we need to, we need to find a different plan. And I think the, the, there were very few people at the time who were speaking up about this being an issue or that this was being problematic. And I kept thinking that I still have the privilege to even say that this is not okay. Whereas Mm -hmm. there's tons of people who are just, you know, living it without thinking that they should be saying like, we need paper pockets or we need accommodations or we need this. And so it's been an interesting experience to, to learn to use my voice and to, figure out how to, because I, I, I still have to remind myself that I'm supposed to take up space, even though I was raised most of my life to mm-hmm. not take up space and to not put attention to myself and to just put my head down and walk away and be quiet and be respectful and, and just say, thank you. Oh my gosh. Well, we, yep. Same, same here. And, but I feel like now we, we see that we, we have space, we earned the space and, we have a voice and when we can and we feel comfortable, we should voice our concerns, right? And uh, you're, you know, there's a reason why we're here. There's a reason why uh, we are where we are. I think you in general, uh, and I mean, we talk about ourselves, we, we come from similar, kind of similar uh, backgrounds and, and how we were raised, but, but now we can change that for future generations, right? Like, I'm sure, you know, I was telling, I was talking to my wife about this and telling like, you know, there's, so, there's certain values that I'm going to obviously still teach my kids around what, what I was taught with my parents, but there's a lot of different things that I'm not going to do. Uh, <laughs> and one of them is like yeah, that, that, that mindset of like 
you know, don't take up, don't take up space, say yes, please. And thank you. And sorry. And move on. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, that's something that, that we shouldn't be teaching our kids and instead have them have their own little voice and let them tell you, Hey, mom, dad, or take teacher, uh, or Hey counselor. Uh, (laughs) yeah, uh, I don't like this policy or I don't like the fact that this looks like this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That's the, that's what, what's going to, I think from the, in the future, we'll, we'll build a generation that, uh, that will be successful, communicate effectively, but Getting back to your council story, I, you campaigned perhaps during one of the most difficult times in seasons ever, and that is in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, how did you manage that? What were, what were some of the challenges you faced? Uh, and I, remind me, did you have a cha- Is there a challenger? With- two-way race, a two-way race, three-way race? Three, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, this, yes. yeah so... Yeah, so good question. It was a three-way race, and I was. Uh, it was a short race in the sense that the the city had approved this sixth seat in the May mm-hmm. election, so it was like a July, August, like it was a short sort of window. Wow. I have to say that I was very privileged because I was lost my job. I was in a position where I could really dedicate much of my time and resources to campaigning while I continued to look for a job. So I just, we have to acknowledge the privilege that, that comes from being able to serve from, from running for office. Um, There's a lot of money and a lot of resources and a lot of time and a lot of people that, that I think our communities traditionally, uh, some communities traditionally don't have access to. And to your point about taking up space, like, the reason, like we've been taught for so long not to take up space, but we like mm-hmm. that that policies and proceed like nothing has served us, and so now we're like yeah. we're going to take up space and and let's build the community that that serves our communities well. But also there are a lot of barriers in that, in the sense that you know you need ten, fifteen, twenty, you know, fifty thousand dollars to run a campaign, yes. and so I was privileged because I could be my sort of campaign person and I did get a ton of support so Apano was really great in terms of offering some support to me and I think I just I just zoomed in and was like what are the things that I need to do that I'm going to do we had to focus 100% online we were not in a position that we felt comfortable knocking doors or talking to people I phone banked like crazy I my partner in crime my husband my other like my better half like he (laughs) you know you know this but this is important and you know this like we've got we've done these conversations I mean even before I agreed to run while I had those conversations uh, my that was a really big conversation and we had a conversation with our kids because there's going to be a lens of scrutiny for us too and so you know they really showed up because every Tuesday or Thursday, there was a day from four to six, mom was, was calling the voters. Like that's what I was doing. And so it was probably the, one of the most sort of trickiest times to have to, to campaign. But in some ways, I think COVID this sort of racial justice reckoning the presidential election, which happened to fall on, on my uh, race, which will now every four years, which I think is very interesting, really, <laughs> right. 
right? Like every four years I will be tied to the presidential election, assuming I stay in, in council or run for council again. And it was, it, so I just, the combination of all those things and, you know, people really showed up. I was super thankful for a lot of allies that showed up, whether it was with endorsements, whether it was taking my calls, whether it was offering advice, whether it was dropping lit, which we did, which we did as well, whether it was showing up for phone banking. So I just, we worked our butts off, but we, you know, we came in strong. I think it was 60 to 70% of the, the votes came for us. No, it was like 70, I think. So oh my um, pretty exciting. 70%, uh, you got 70% of the votes in a three-way race. I did, yes. Well, that is yeah. crazy. Oh, you need to see, I need the handbook of how you ran your campaign because when I I think we were, you know, we were running campaigns almost at the same time. And I remember uh, when everything went down, I started Googling, how do you campaign during a pandemic? And there was nothing. I was like, oh, well, no crap. It's because the last time there was a pandemic was like 100 years ago. Yeah. Uh, so, it, it, that, I mean, first of all, congratulations. And getting seventy percent of the vote is it's it's not surprising to me. I think it's some it's just says a lot about who you are and and what kind of leader you you've been for, for the Beaverton community. But now that you're in office, now that you're a counselor, has it been what you expected? That's a really big question. <laughs> uh oh. So we the, so not only did we uh, add a sixth seat, which allowed me to win, which is awesome. We changed our charter for the city, and we went oh. from a strong mayor form of government to a council manager form of government. So, a lot of the sort of things that I'm excited about and want to do and want to work on sort of live in this this holding pattern because we are in a change as a city ourselves, right? So. Mm -hmm. We hired an interim city manager that is wrapping up. And then we've just in, we just like two months ago, identified a full-time city manager who will be joining us, but will not start until the end of August. And so we've been in this sort of transition and what's happened, uh, you know, in being in transition or has been that we haven't been able to get a lot done. Right. So, you know, mm -hmm. like we want to do this and I want to do this and government you know, typically is like that, but because we have not had sort of the, the infrastructure for what we want to move forward or what we want to do, things have been a little bit slow. So I am excited and optimistic that once we have more, not like that we are less in transition and more in here's our form of government, here's how we do things, here's how things get done, that we will start to move things. But it's definitely been a really big time of transition. And I know that our city and our community want so much more from us, but we're not in a position to be able to do a lot right away. And for those who are not familiar with Beaverton, can you share more on like how, how big Beaverton is, kind of the more or less the demographics of the city of Beaverton so we can get a better idea? Absolutely. Yeah. So we yeah. are right around 100,000 people in, the, in Washington County. We're one of the bigger cities here, and we're on the west side of Portland in the state of Oregon. We have a very diverse population, I would say, uh, although, of course, we are majority white. We have a huge Latino, Latinx, uh, Asian-American, Black, 
immigrant and refugee population as well. We are about 50-50 renter homeowner, which mm-hmm. I find to be very interesting, just something that I that I that I like to share. And then if you look at a map and try to understand Beaverton, and this is something that people always struggle with, you'll see the city of Beaverton, which is our city limits, and then you'll see Beaverton. And the city limits are actually much smaller than what people realize. So Beaverton schools or the Beaverton school district, which is our school district, is substantially bigger because it is not restricted to the the city of Beaverton limits. But I always like to share the Beaverton school district is now a majority minority district. Mm. So that tells you a lot about how our population is changing here in Washington County and in Beaverton. And I'm assuming it hasn't been like that, right? This is something that... No. Yeah, right. It's like I'm assuming like before it was completely different. Very, very different. And because I went to high school here, I can say, you know, the city of Beaverton, I think, really was not very diverse and was probably just a very different population from what it was. And it's and it's shifted so quickly. And we haven't seen that shift in our leaders or our decision makers, but we're starting to see that. And in 2020, November, this last November, Washington mm-hmm. County had several people of color on the ballot across cities and across the uh, state races as well. And in you know huge numbers elected, I, I'm pretty sure almost all of the people of color that were running. And we continue to see that trend, which is really exciting because we are becoming a huge, the, the under, the minority is not the minority, right? Like we are, it is the, it is becoming the majority in this area. Wow. And Washington County Ignite, I think, right, is one of yep. it's the, it's one of the moving organizations that has been, has been doing a lot of good work and trying to get folks to run for office, folks who represent the other demographics other than white to run for office. Did you ever did you have a chance to work with them uh, as a as a a candidate? Absolutely, yeah. So you know, shout out to Lamar Wise and Imani Dorsey. They are sort of the I would say the people. I think Odalis Aguilar is also a little bit involved with Washco Ignite. They are doing as much work as we can to get Washington County the representation that it needs at all at all elected levels. Mm-hmm. I think one of the challenges, as I'm sure you know, is is the privilege that it requires to be in elected office, whether it's, uh, you know, the financial privilege or the time privilege. I think the two, both of those are really big, right? Like, do I have the, am I financially comfortable to serve for not a lot of money or not much money? And, and then do I have the time to actually serve? Because if I could be a full-time city counselor and get paid like a full-time city counselor, I could do some really cool stuff, you know. But uh, I, that, now we're talking. <laughs> but yeah, but meanwhile, uh, you know, uh, we are paid a small a stipend, which is amazing, but it's it's not a, you know, livable wage stipend. So I have to maintain my full-time job while being a mom and being a, a counselor, which so as we imagine how we build more access for people to be in office, we have to figure out what it looks like to actually give them the support that they need to be in office. So you truly do believe, like, let's say you're, you're full-time, no more, no need to get another job. They pay you as a full-time counselor. You think, you think that would be something that 
can 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 shift not only your city council but many potentially other city councils across the state of Oregon? Absolutely. I mean, if you want to have things in your city happen in a way that are influencing your community, but your elected officials are not paid full time and must do other things, they won't be able to dedicate the time and resources to the city work that they want to do. So I I get constituent emails, you know, every day I get Mm -hmm. asked to be in meetings all the time. I'm asked to go to events, but I work full time and I have three kids. And so I have to balance those things. And so whether we offer full-time salaries and or other perks, for example, when I served on the THPRD visioning task force, I brought my baby and nobody said anything. (laughs) So (laughs) I didn't need childcare at the time because she was tiny, but the ability to bring her allowed me to participate. If they said, hey, the baby can't be here, then I'd say, then neither can I. <laughs> so, <laughs> right, right for call. Us, you know, so, <laughs> so I think money is, is like the goal. And, you know, if we can't get that high, although we should, um, then maybe it's childcare because those are the things that allow people to participate or not, ultimately. I 100% agree with you. And a lot of, I, I get to represent Gresham and in my school board role, I represent cities, but people think we get paid. Uh, at yeah. least, well, in, in the school board, I get paid zero ninety nine, uh, And uh, for the legislature, it's not a livable wage. But when people, no. you know, when people see me, you know, wearing my suit and got my little state of, state of Oregon pin on, I was like, I'm going to tell you what, this suit right here, I got it from Goodwill, number one. Mm-hmm. Number, it doesn't even fit me. Number two, no. Yeah. <laughs> Simply no. And, and, and it's, a, it's a thing about, uh, you know, one of the things I've been teaching my community, and specifically the Latinx community, is that, no, we don't, like, we don't get paid. Although we hold these positions of, of so-called power, we are still struggling. You know, I, I still, similar to you, I still have a full-time job. Uh, I'm going to soon have kids and, I'm only, and it's only going to get more challenging. And I can, I couldn't agree more with you. I think, I personally think any city that has more than 50,000 people should get, the counselors and the mayor should get some sort of stipend. But it also, but like the bigger the cities, I think the more money folks should be getting paid. And we not only talk about money, I think it's, you talk about accessibility, right? Like, I think a lot of people like us don't want to run for these positions, right? Like, when we talk about school board, talk about city council, uh, don't want to run for these positions because, one, it takes time, and that time is not being compensated. Mm-hmm. Uh, or we have families and we have kids, and now you're trying to figure out either do I pay a daycare or childcare, or, or do I, can I get some help with this? So, like, there's still so many boundaries in the way that I feel a lot of awesome people out there. Uh, if, if if those were existing, they would be they would be our city councilors, our school board members, our county commissioners. Although county commissioners do get paid, uh, but mm-hmm. but still, I think um, it's it's still a, a barrier for many folks. 
Uh, but now it's a city councilor, not a Euro city councilor, Councilor Hassan. Sounds mm-hmm. amazing. Uh, what, 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 what goals do you have? I know that we're halfway, almost over halfway done with this year. We got 2022 coming up. What do you see Beaverton looking like in, in by the end of your term? What do you think you want to accomplish by then? Yeah, so before I answer that, I just want to say for those of you listening, your politicians don't really make a ton of money. So <laughs> make sure you thank them because it's a lot of work. Like we're I am so excited to serve. I know Representative Ruiz is so excited to serve, but like, yeah, we do not get a ton of money for this work, if at all. And so just know that. Um, but to your we're question, struggling. We are struggling. We're struggling. <laughs> yeah, like, help us out. Be nice. Like, say thank you. Like, when I want to take a call with a constituent, like, that's time I'm taking away from the kids. I'm going to do it. It matters to me. It's 100% important. But just want to make sure folks know that. Um, so... <laughs> your question about the future or what it looks like for Beaverton, I'd like us to start really thinking about how we can do policy work that supports communities of color. We tend to, uh, in Beaverton, we've done a really good job at making communities of color feel welcome Mm -hmm. and included them in conversations I think we need to do take it another step forward and really show solidarity in trying to help them navigate all of the things, right? So how are we helping our undocumented population? How are we helping with specific needs that folks have? And I would say at the foundation of my running for office, it wasn't the housing, but housing matters. It wasn't the transportation and transportation is also important. It was the basic accessibility to government. How do we make basic people in Beaverton, like you and me, understand government and know that government is not big brother trying to take stuff away, but actually here to serve you? How do we make our communities of color feel like government is for them, there to serve them, there to support them, just increasing access and transparency about who we are and what we do. So that's like the foundational goal is that more people in this city are like, oh, did you know that they talked about this in city council last night? Oh my gosh, isn't that crazy? Not that people want to watch our meetings, but it would be nice if people felt like these decisions didn't get made by a bunch of people in a room where they weren't allowed. We know that all of our meetings are public records. So in theory, everyone can watch our meetings and show. So at the foundation, I want people to feel like they can access counselors and that they can access information when they want and that they feel informed about what the city is doing. I really hope that as we build middle housing in Beaverton, we're thinking about our communities in a way that is as anti-racist as possible. And there is a lot of work happening I wouldn't say a lot, but there's some work happening around what transportation equity looks like and how we build and how we invest in infrastructure. And I'm hopeful that that goes in a way that really supports our communities. And then last but not least, and this is a higher sort of long-term goal, but what does economic development look like for our communities? What does it look like to ensure that our communities have what they need to thrive? What does that mean? I, and I don't know the answer to that, but but there are a lot of cities that are doing a lot of really good work, and I think we can learn from them. 
And I think some of it's workforce planning. I was a career technical education teacher. So CTE is what I taught. And I'll tell you, like, we're not preparing people for the real world. I know it mm. because I was a teacher and because I work in talent acquisition. So I, I, I have seen it as a person teaching kids and I've seen it as a person receiving people uh, and offering potential employment to people as well. So th those are just a couple things. <laughs> I don't know that I'll get th that done in three years, but, but I'm working towards it as much as possible. Where do you see yourself in 10 years? Oh gosh. I hope alive because sometimes <laughs> I think that I've lost years of my life. <laughs> in the past six months. Um, you know, I like city council. Like I think, I think it'll take me four years to really even figure out what I'm doing in all of mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know that I'm like, you know, I'm going to do this next or I'm going to do this next. And, as, and we've talked about it, so I'll just say it. Not a lot of stuff pays really well. And right. so I, and I have to maintain a full-time job for us to be able to live the lifestyle that we have. And so whatever I'm doing in 10 years has to allow me to have the lifestyle that I want. And very few positions today offer that. So if that changes, then I could see myself doing something different. But for now, I'm really happy learning as much as I can about the city and how we can do better here in Beaverton. Amazing. What is one thing you wish you knew 10 years ago that you know now? Okay, what is something that I wish that I knew 10 years ago that I know now? <laughs> it's a, I know it's a, it's a, it's a mouthful question. Well, it's like, well, it's like 15 things. So I'm like, how do I pick one? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you, you can tell me the 15 things. That's okay. Okay. I, I, I've got one. No, I've got a good one. Uh-huh. You'll never know unless you ask. <laughs> and I say that when I, when I talk about, um, you know, do you want to run for office? Is that something that interests you? Do you want to do this thing? Do you want to do this thing? Like I, I was afraid to ask for myself because I didn't think that I could. And then when all these people said that I could and like, thanks to all those people, right. That like joined me early on and said that I could, I think I was like, I can. Right. And so always ask, you never know. Like you have to ask if you don't ask, you'll never know. And I, and, and so about running for office, about asking for more money, if you're negotiating salary, about asking about a job, about putting yourself out there. I think the hardest thing for, for many of us is to be vulnerable and to say, oh, I, I might wanna do that, or that does interest me. And so ask, like if you don't ask, you'll never know the answer. And I can't emphasize how important it is to ask because as scary as it was to be told to consider running, the mm -hmm. next scary conversation was with elected officials to tell them why I was running and why they should support me and to have to ask, but we have to ask because <laughs> that's how we're going to get there. And some of them we have to tell, right? Like I'm doing this and so you need to support me, but you have to, don't be afraid to ask the question. If you don't, if you're afraid to ask the question, you'll never know the answer. And then you'll always wonder. Man, I hit home. I hit home. I think I'm gonna use that now because I'm, <laughs> I'm the type of person that 
I, I just don't like asking for help. And I think yeah. it's one of the things that I was raised that way. Uh, and this year, actually, was one of the first one of the first times where I began asking for help. Right, like, hey, how do I uh, get to Salem? <laughs> where do I park? <laughs> you know, um, how do we, you know, like, or how does how do I draft this 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 idea that I might want to make it into a law? Honestly, like I, I like the first two weeks when I, you know, when I was in Salem, um, I didn't ask those questions. I was trying to figure it out on my own, and I was driving myself crazy. And I told myself, you know what, it doesn't hurt to ask. Mm-hmm. And when I got got in the habit of asking, you're absolutely right. You're never gonna know until you ask. And my life has just been so much easier, right? Uh, now I can. I basically ask. I, my wife makes fun of me because, like, she sometimes tells me, "You're asking. You ask too much." I was like, "No, I just want to know. <laughs> you know, I just want to know. I truly do." And um, and I'm sure, like, people listening to to what you just said, I think it's gonna hit home to a lot of folks, especially. Uh, people of color because sometimes we we we're afraid to ask for help uh and many people have different reasons why but yep. uh, you know for me i just i, I think for me i was i was afraid of rejection uh, or i was afraid that people were going to just say no and sometimes it is that way people are going to say no and that's okay it shouldn't yeah. it shouldn't stop you from not asking someone else yep we've been we've been oh my gosh we've been yeah i know a long time and i want to yeah. i want to give wrap you it up back wrap it up but uh Nadia, uh, thank you so much for for taking the time. I really do hope uh, you continue to flourish and, and become the amazing leader you've already become. And I can't wait to see what's next. But is there anything, any closing remarks that you'd like to to give the listeners before we wrap this one up? Yeah, no, I mean, I just thank you so much. Like, Ricky, I have been watching you and it's been such an honor to see the work that you're doing. And I'm so excited because as we continue to build each other up, whether it's Mm -hmm. through this or other ways that we just keep remembering the people that we care about, right? Which is like Mm -hmm. our kids and our friends' kids and our community's kids and what their futures look like. Because if we keep remembering that, and that's what I do, I just, I I tell my kids that I'm making a difference for their future. (laughs) They they will never get it the way that that others will, I think, but if we just, if we keep focusing on that, I think we can really make things so much better for our communities and our people. We have a lot of work that we have to undo, a lot of damage that's been done from a really long time. And I think the four, the last four years is, is some reflection, but, but it's been going on for like 400, you know? So undoing that is going to take a lot of work and I'm excited for you and I'm excited for me. And if you're listening, if you want to run, like think about it. And we need more people who look like the people that live here and have the lived experiences of the people that are here and can help us make change, whether it's by running, whether it's by organizing, whether it's by speaking up, whether it's joining a border commission, please get involved. We need more fun, exciting, amazing people. 